Two classmates and I were uh, decided we were going to try to study a semester of Hebrew, and uh, we had a wonderful uh, Jewish woman teaching us. Uh, well, she taught us, but not Hebrew. Uh, she taught us more about Jewish culture and modern Jewish cult culture than she did anything else. And one day she decided to share a story, and I, I think I understand why she shared the story, but uh, I thought about that as I uh, thought about um, a dis different aspect of today's first reading in our gospel reading. And that is, uh, during the Nazi occupation very early, uh, in Poland, a high-ranking Nazi official went to a concert and he turned to the person next to him and said, oh, that pianist is excellent. Obviously, they're not Jewish. And the man next to him said, oh, actually, he is Jewish. Oh, but that singer, she has a beautiful voice. Obviously, she's not Jewish. No, she's Jewish too. Well, the composer, obviously, the composer can't be Jewish. He said, well, actually, yeah, she, he is. Well, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, ah, they're Jewish too. As Catholics, we know that there's no room for anti-Semitism. And one of the sad things, though, is not only we know that, that there's no room for anti-Semitism, but we forget how much, how important, how much of a debt we owe to our Jewish brothers and sisters. As St. Paul would tell us, theirs is the covenant Theirs is the one through whom we just had this, through whom Christ came. And if we don't have an understanding of the Jewish faith a little bit, at least enough, we forget how radical they are, how radical we are as a result. In fact, it's only Judeo-Christian religion that holds that there is only one God. All other religions hold that, well, this is our God, but you have your gods, and, and, and there can be competing. But uh, Judaism is rather radical in saying God is God alone. And in this passage that we hear, hear in today's first reading and is repeated in our gospel reading with a little addition, it's a very important passage for the Jewish people. As you enter their homes, most will have... A little, it looks like a, a doorbell, but it's a little, I forget the name of it. But inside is a little piece of a scroll that is inscribed, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Every once in a while we hear about phylacteries, namely Jesus chides them for widening their phylacteries. A phylactery is a little leather box that attaches to the head with straps. It wraps around, it wraps around the arm, and it was a prayer tool. And it's, they are still used, in, um, especially among the Orthodox. The phylactery is, is as important to them as a rosary is to a Catholic. And in that little box attached to their forehead is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, is God, the Lord our God is Lord alone. It is as important to them as the Our Father is to us. They would repeat it and remind themselves because it's the core message of their faith. And so when the scribe comes up and asks Jesus, of course Jesus is going to have that as a ready answer. First, this whole, the whole context, Jesus up to this point has been challenged time and again. And we have that famous one, well, man marries a wife and dies and, and 
and uh, his brother takes a wife according to the Mosaic custom, and, and he dies, and, and she's been married to seven brothers, and in the, in the resurrection, if there is one, uh, whose wife will she be? And they use that, try to use that as proof that there is no resurrection. And Jesus cuts right through it. Time again, Jesus cuts through uh, with the question of, is it lawful to pay taxes? Whose image is it? Here the scribe is coming forward and, and there's, you, you've spoken well already about things. He's not coming necessarily to challenge, but to really know, to really understand. He sets that challenge of the Lord behind him and he really wants to know. At the time and even yet today, Jewish scholars debate which is the greatest of all the commandments and how you answer that, you fall into certain camps. There's 613 different commandments, we are told, in the, in the Torah, the first five books of our Bible. Which one is the greatest? Which one is the one most important? And Jesus goes to this well-known phrase, and he adds, with all your mind. These are not different parts of the human person, but rather different aspects of who we are and how we relate to God and how we relate to actually ourselves and each other, our, our hearts, that inner core where God dwells, our soul, that, that, uh, and, uh, the form that gives our body life, our mind, our thoughts, our strength, the energy that, with which we work, all of it, every ounce of everything is to love God. And so often, if we're honest, we only love partially. God wants us to love totally. And Jesus goes on, of course, and he names a second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. These great commandments serve as a foundation for who we are in all the law. If we, if we fulfill the law of love to God and love of neighbor, we fulfill the totality of the law. And we know this, especially as Christians, where we, we see it more readily. We've uh, set aside certain of those 613 laws. I don't know about you, but I enjoy shrimp every once in a while. That would be against the Jewish law. Or the, 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 my favorite example is a cheeseburger, bacon cheeseburger, breaks it even more. It's not exactly healthy for us, but that would break it because you could not have beef with milk or you could not have pork. We've set some of those laws aside, but the, the law that itself is love. And so when Jesus answers, the scribe answers, you've spoken well, of course this is it. And Jesus turns to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Notice he doesn't say you're in the kingdom of God. There's still a little ways to go for him. He still has to do something and if we're honest, we, we know what that something is. It's one thing to live theoretically with the greatest. Well, the greatest is love. It's another thing to love. We can't be theoretical about following the law, following the law of love. We have to love. And we live in a world that defines love so differently than our faith does. And Usually when we think of love, we think of Valentine's Day. That romantic love, the love that a husband has for a wife or a wife for a husband where you look at your spouse and your heart skips a beat. 
or that warm feeling you have, that warm affection you have, the love of a parent for a child or hopefully a child for a parent. That, that love is, yes, it might be love, but love is more than the feeling. Love is not just an emotion. Love is an act of the will. And if we're honest, love sometimes, actually most of the time, is difficult, isn't it? When words are said that should not have been said, when things are done that should not have been done, yes, it's a betrayal of love, but it's hard to love in return. And yet, that's exactly what we're called to do. We love, we put their need before ours as an act of the will. And if we want a perfect model of love, we look no further than the crucifix. Christ on the cross that could not have felt warm. It could not have felt loving in the world's standard of love. And yet, he suffered, died for love of us. Because he knew this was the only way to save humanity. And so he died on the cross for all of us, knowing that some of us would accept him and knowing that some would reject him. Knowing that some of us who even accept him would sin and fall time and again. And he died on the cross all the same to give us forgiveness. That every time we come to the sacrament of reconciliation or every time we come to him in the Eucharist, uh, which fulfills that forgiveness, we receive that love again. St. John tells us we love because God first loved us. And St. Paul tells us while it's difficult, uh, while we were still sinners, uh, Christ died for us. And with difficulty, one dies for a good man, though he might, may find courage. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. We didn't have to do anything to have God love us. We don't have to do anything. There's nothing we can do that will make God love us anymore, and nothing we can do that will make God love us even less. God loves us. And if that's true, then we need to love in return. Again, like I said, we cannot live theoretically, but we need to live practically. To let love be in us. And if, we're, if we love God, then how can we not love those he has created? The people around us, nature, everything. We treat it with love and respect because God, or others with love and respect because God created them. And we honor them. We, re, we love them. And we remember that our neighbor is not always the person known to us, but sometimes the person most unknown. After all, we have in Luke's Gospel, the scribe asking, following up, well, who is my neighbor? Uh, the man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. And the whole story of the Good Samaritan, which man was neighbor to the man who was beaten by the robbers? The one who treated him with compassion, the stranger. Our neighbor is everyone. The scribe answers and says, obviously these are the answers to love God and love neighbors worth more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. And this is what gets Jesus' attention. It's not that sacrifices and offerings are unnecessary, but if we're honest, let's admit it. There's times we do the right thing for the very wrong reasons. 
We might be here this morning just because the church tells us we have to be at Mass on weekends, on Sundays. It's the right thing, perhaps for a wrong reason. We should be here because we want to praise and glorify God. And we know that the Mass is the most perfect form of prayer. Or we might choose not to say a nasty word to a neighbor or a friend because we love, but we're just saving it up. So when the next time they really sing us, we can just dump. Well, that never happens to spouses, I know that. We can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And we can offer sacrifice in the Jewish uh, cult. They could offer sacrifice without having a love of God at all. Why? They're just going through the ritual, just going through the motions. This is not condemning them. Let's be honest, we do this yet. Love without sacrifice is empty. Sacrifice without love is nothing. Love has to be first, though. When we love God, our sacrifice has power because we understand how much God loves us. And then we make a return to God. As we come this day, we ask God to help us to love, to love even when it's most difficult, to love those most difficult to love, knowing that we're making only a response to the love that God has first shown us. Knowing that by our love, we sacrifice for him.